0: The pickle jar effect is, and I can't remember where I heard it. If anybody knows, um, kind of who came up with this this concept, it's a please let us know. as I, far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I really, I, I wish it was. It's definitely a concept um, beyond me and, and out I've there in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, yay! <laughs> Glad that's what I brought to the party. Um, so somebody will have been at the company trying to open a jar um, there's something in the jar that you all need and you're trying to open it. They've banged it on the side. They've run it under hot water. They've used a tea towel, all of this. And you're the new guy you're walking in and you're like, Oh, the jar needs opening. Give it here. I'll take it. I'll be able to open it. So the person who's giving up the jar then is quite resentful because what are you going to try that I haven't already tried?
1: Hi, I'm Carl
0: and I'm Danielle
1: and this is Productly Speaking.
0: We're product managers by trade and here we explore the world of product management. It's people and their stories.
1: We promise to keep it entertaining and maybe you'll learn something. Shall we give this a go? Let's do it. Hi, welcome to episode two. Today we're going to be talking about why we've actually made this Productly Speaking podcast. Uh, the different stages of the product life cycle and why different skills are required at each point, the difficulties in bringing product into a new organization that is engineering-led, which is really, truly quite challenging, and then conversely, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, being a product manager at seven levels down from the top and still, how are you going to make an impact? Uh, so, Danielle, did you want to kick us off and start talking about why we're making this podcast?
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that as a product manager, we really have to nail, especially in your first couple of years in practice, is just taking all of the opportunities that you have and kind of running with them. Um, and, And this is one of those opportunities for both Carl and I. We talked ourselves into a podcast and thought, why not? Like, let's just try it out. Let's do it and take the, take the opportunity and make the most of it, run an experiment, which is why we've called season zero, the MVP. We are just testing the waters and seeing what it's like. Um, and we enjoy talking about product management. So that's always a good use of time. What do you think,? Kyle? Well,
1: because because we are product managers, we had to do an MVP. I mean, I mean, you can't launch <laughs> without doing an MVP. You, this is this is just the way it works. Uh, but to further to your point, I mean, we do believe that we have some unique perspectives on product management due to our very backgrounds. I mean, we've both worked at large uh, enterprise-sized companies that service you know thousands of users in the fortune 50, the Fortune One Hundred, et cetera. And we've also worked at startups. And so we've got that uh, knowledge of being able to only have a handful of customers that you're trying to service and and getting really close to what they need and then trying to see where the market's going. Uh, We also understand that we are not the smartest people in the room and we don't know it all. Uh, And anyone who believes they are the smartest person in the room, well, I bet I can find a smarter person. So uh, that's how that works. And uh, I think to to have that level of uh, understanding of the situation there is uh, that gives us very unique perspectives to drive this from.
0: Yeah, that's really true. I think our unique perspectives are what ensure we, we talk through things in a really deep manner. It's um, something that I try and protect against in the teams is the, the concept of groupthink. If you're always agreeing with each other, it, sometimes it's it feels really great because you can run so fast because you're always agreeing with each other and you can get on and do. But it really does make me wonder if there's something we're missing. So with the two of us, I think it's really great that we challenge each other and we have these different experiences. While we agree on so many things and we have similar values and approaches to product management. We also have the ability to challenge each other. Our experiences have led us to different understandings. And I think that's really valuable to move teams away from groupthink. Um, It means that together we're stronger, which is really great.
1: Yeah. And... Also, you know, to that point, we, we do really enjoy talking about product management and are hoping to meet others who enjoy talking about it as well. We're deeply curious and want to share those stories, uh, find people with unique perspectives. Uh, and That's what we're going to do in the next season after we finish up our MVP. Uh, so we're excited to learn uh, from those who have other unique perspectives to our own. And if you're interested in coming on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can send us an email at hello at productlyspeaking.com and uh, we'd love to have a chat. Well, so now that we've kind of talked about why we're doing it, we've we've definitely talked about wanting to get into this whole conversation around the different stages of the product lifecycle and why different skills are required at each point. Uh, so just really quickly, what are we talking about with the different stages of product lifecycle? Well, you've got kind of an early stage of product that spans anywhere from ideation to a minimal marketable product or an MVP as we're doing here, minimal viable product. Um, The middle stage spans early releases to mature products. And a late stage product is one that's anywhere from late maturity to end of life. And having been really kind of on all of these spectrums, I can tell you that the challenges uh, for each of these different stages are very different. And it does take a different set of skills to handle each one of these different areas and uh it's one of those things that not everybody has the skills to do all three and certainly uh, if you do have the skills to do all three, you are going to be stronger in some areas than the others. So everybody's going to have like a, a lane that's a little bit more natural in this product life cycle. Either you're you're really good at the early stages, you're really good at the middle stages, or you're really good at the late stages. And understanding that's really important from just a, a career perspective for yourself, but also uh, as a somebody who would lead product, you need to be able to see these things in the people that you have working on your different products, and to be able to position people with the correct roles.
0: Yeah, I think having that self-awareness to know where you prefer to spend your time, it's so natural for you to put off and procrastinate on things that don't bring you joy. So if you have the self-awareness to know, actually, I really love this stage, and then just try and spend your time there, try and focus your efforts there, and then know to delegate the things that you're not stronger at. Um, you can delegate and learn and grow your, your weaknesses into strengths, but also just recognizing where you get fulfillment means that you're probably going to want to focus on those areas too.
1: And and to talk about it a little bit more, I mean, those early stage qualities, you've got to really be very driven, but also have that ability to turn an idea into reality, be, you know, really willing to experiment with things and be uh, willing to be proven wrong. Because that's the beauty of an early stage product is you're going to learn how many different ways you're mm-hmm. wrong. That, that that's the whole yeah. point. Uh, you think you're right. You're going to go forward like you're right. You're going to market like you're right, and then the market's going to turn around and tell you nope, 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 and nope, and then you're going to have to address and change course. So you don't want yeah. to develop too much too fast either uh, because you do want to do that experimentation you want to have something that you don't mind throwing away you don't want to get too uh, married to the product so to say uh, at that early stage you want to be able to have that mindset that okay we're building this and we may have to completely redo it but we think we're on to something here um, and then when you get past that point you know you get into a product that you've actually got a good user base on uh, you really do get into the middle stage of the product life and that Customer understanding, doing things like competitive analysis, being driven by outcomes, working with teams to get things done, working with people who work with customers understanding a balance between new features and existing customers becomes important because at this point you've got a product that's got some traction and you're starting to actually run and when you start to actually run uh, now you actually have real customers to take care of to support to make sure that they continue to be happy with the product while you continue to still try and attract new customers into the product and sometimes you may have to make decisions that put those at odds
0: Yeah, it's the, um, I was looking yesterday, there's a TED talk called the Super Mario effect, talking about how it's so normal when you're playing Super Mario to play a level and to like run, run, jump, jump, or falling down a hole and you restart the level again. And I think your ability to keep doing that and like essentially running into a brick wall until you've figured out how to smash through the brick wall is such a, to me, it feels like a very early life cycle skill but you do need it at every step because whether it's you know the the brick wall could be the fact that you're not getting traction with the customers but the brick wall could also be internal issues right like you're coming up against people who don't understand product management or you're coming up against people who have different ideas or different methodologies Um, and so you really just do need to have that mindset of Try it, doesn't work, start again, but just in slightly different versions of that each stage of the life cycle.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great um, analogy because yeah, in mm-hmm. Super Mario, you just you are constantly dying and restarting and dying and restarting and, and that's actually part of the fun of it. Uh, which is yeah, part of the fun Exactly. Of the People as well. love
0: that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you have to find the joy in it. People love playing Super Mario. So what is it mm. that about Super Mario that makes you want to keep going and harness that and and use it? It is
1: easy to get stuck in that trap though as a product manager where you're like I really like what we did that then when you find that feedback that it wasn't the right thing that can be tough
0: that that's oh, a man. that's a trap to fall into Yeah totally and the I mean that's a it's a bias right and there's so many different types of bias the one that I see folks fall into a lot is confirmation bias but also survivor bias um, we could do a whole podcast episode on just on just those two, but survivor bias being the, the customers that you have are the customers that you build for, which is great because the customers that you have continue to be happy, but what are you missing? Because they're the ones also surviving on your product. So what are you not seeing that's out in the market that you need to go and figure out how to plug that gap or get new customers and then confirmation bias is just believing that you're right and therefore all of the data that comes in, you find a way of reading it so that it supports your, um, your idea or your, your hypotheses. Um, I think both are there for a reason like it's good to have confirmation bias sometimes but you do just have to have that self-awareness to say okay is is this data set actually proving me right or do I just want it to prove me right
1: yeah those are great topics and uh, not to spoil things but if you keep listening to our podcast in the next episode we're not going to talk about all of the things that Danielle just mentioned but we are going to continue that conversation uh, with regards to product market fit because this all kind Mm -hmm. of comes together because you've got to know Do you have product market fit? Are you making the right choices to get yourself there? And how do you know when you're there? So we'll talk about that in the next one, but it's an absolutely very valid point. And then just to kind of move through what qualities are needed for the different stages in product management, you get into the late stage qualities, and now you're really at a point where you're just managing customer relationships. Uh, You've got a product that is hit maturity, and you've got a lot of different people that already love it. And when you get to this point, yeah, you know, we talked about how before you have to kind of manage the delta between what are your existing customers want and what are your prospects need. Now you're at a point where your existing customer base is so large that to change anything, to add anything could cause uh, trauma for your existing Mm -hmm. customer base. And so you've got to be extremely careful with what you do there. Uh, Making massive changes could cause lots of headaches for your, your end users. And it could, and conversely it could cause headaches for you and the organization. Uh, So you've really, really got to think this one through and it becomes extremely difficult to add or to change things and products in this stage. And, you may have to do what's uh, actually very hard and that's to plan for end of life, plan to sunset your product. You know, you've worked on this product for a while, you love the product and now it's not the right product for the market or it's time for it to be done. And you may have to actually plan that and you may have to go all the way back to the early stage and start innovating for a product replacement. So maybe it's like, okay, well, we've done this for so many years and it was great, but it's clear that the need in the market has changed. This is no longer going to do what we need. How do we now innovate something new in that market that's going to allow us to replace this? So, but when you get into the late stage of the game, it becomes very different. Um, it's a, it's a much different challenge at that point.
0: Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. I think your, um, your first point of, okay, you've got a whole bunch of customers that love it, but now you're scaling or you're growing. Um, and you need to kind of double down on that somehow is such a dangerous at fun, dangerous, but such a dangerous place to be because the people who got you where you are, aren't necessarily the same people who get you where you're going, but you have to watch out for influences or original influences, not becoming, the reason that you're stagnating in the product. And so I think that's a really special part of kind of that later stage. When it comes to sunsetting stuff, that's such an emotional such an emotional place to be because you've got customers who love your product, right? They're there. They were using it and there wouldn't be a reason for them to use it if they didn't need it. So how do you kind of turn it off and take it away from them? Um, I think that communication piece is so key. Again, communication is is a key tenant in my mind of product management and being able to communicate through layers and through teams and different interfaces with customers, all of this. But that sunsetting stage, you really have to, to nail the communication, just make sure that folks know what's coming and why we've all been on the receiving end of a product that's changing its strategy or it's turning off or it's changing its pricing model. I know that we've, we've all been through a pricing model change and that is almost sunsetting one product and leaning to another, um, or it can feel like it from the end user point of view. So having that, that empathy and those communication touch points are really special. Yeah.
1: Great. Great. Great example of that is when Adobe changed uh, basically all of their creative tools from individual commercial off-the-shelf products. You know, you buy it for say 300 dollars, and I think some of it went up to eight hundred, a thousand. But you get the thing for however long the life of the product is, and even after the life of the product, if your computer still is running, well, then the product keeps running, and though you don't get updates, you can still keep using the tool that you use for so long. And they turned that into the subscription model. And that caused a lot of uh, consternation within the community because, like you said, it's basically sunsetting one type of product and bringing in another one. So, you know, everybody's used to the, okay, I might buy Adobe's creative platform, but I'm only going to do it every five years because it's so expensive. But for five years, you know, I'm going to have this one price that I pay and then I'm going to get all this value from it. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden I'm having to pay by the month. And that changes The game because when you have to see that bill every month, and you know, if you stop paying that bill, you stop getting the value, it's just a very different end user experience. And it caused a lot of uh, concern. A lot of people got really upset about that. At the end of the day, I think they did a reasonably good job with managing and messaging that because uh, most people have moved on to the Creative Cloud platform that they have. And I don't think that they've necessarily done bad for themselves or lost. Uh, business for making this move but it was definitely there was a period of time where there was a lot of uh, angst towards adobe for the change and it definitely took adobe and the customers a lot of time working through that to get to a point where creative cloud is the accepted default and i say accepted because i don't think that everybody loves the subscription model for creative cloud but they've come to terms with this is how this is now sold
0: Yeah. And being like internally knowing that you're making the right strategic choice for the business, but having all of that external pushback from customers must be really demotivating for the team. So hanging on to this strategically is the right choice. We have the data, we have the understanding, we know we have to do this and keep going, even though you're getting all of that negative feedback.
1: Yep. And that kind of brings us into this other point that we wanted to talk about today, and that's that making an impact actually requires having good self-awareness and knowing where you can be the most influential uh, to have impact. Because uh, as, as you've, you and I have talked about before, you know it's, it's very rare that a product manager has somebody reporting to them unless you're like in the leadership of product. And so therefore you have product managers reporting to you. So you have to lead by influence. You don't actually have the authority to make things happen within the company.
0: And just knowing who your points of influence are um, as stakeholders and how much influence they have on their teams so that you can bring people along for the journey um, is, is really critical there, I think. I think it's I think it's right as well I've spent a lot of time talking about this in in other environments but I think it's right that you don't have engineers and designers reporting into product managers in the same way that I think it's inappropriate for product managers to report into designers or into engineers because it's important for those three tracks of the triad to not have bias. Like we each have a natural tension with each other. Engineers are going to want the best engineered solution. Designers are going to want the best thing for the user experience and product managers are going to need to balance the two of those plus the business needs. Um, And so if you have a product manager reporting into a designer, then suddenly your product manager is motivated to make decisions that benefit the design um, or vice versa. You have product reporting to engineering and you've got product managers making engineering biased decisions. And so keeping everybody in their tracks is critical to stay out of some of those those traps that folks can fall into but it does mean that you then have to lean on influence and relationship building in order to make sure that the team is working effectively efficiently to time and everybody's got what they need um, rather than relying on those formal reporting structures.
1: Yeah, so that's that's an excellent point that you've made. And it really speaks to some of the problems that you can run into with product management in an established organization. Uh, but you and I have also had experiences basically coming into an organization without product management before. So what are some of those difficulties, Danielle, in bringing product into a new organization that is engineering led and doesn't have a product mindset?
0: Yeah, I think Product management feels like it's been around for a really long time. Project management certainly has. And it's such a subtle difference and yet an important one that when you're the first product manager in a space or maybe one of the first product managers in a space, ensuring that folks understand what it is that you actually do, which can be really difficult because every time I feel like every time I read a different product, manager job description or product owner job description, they're all subtly different. They're all wanting slightly different levels of design experience, slightly different levels of delivery experience. Um, And just knowing that the job description you read reflects the company culture and acceptance of product, and then will define how much effort you have to put into being that human that advocates for product and advocates for the the things that we do when we enter a company. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's almost like you have to go on a bit of a roadshow and make sure people understand who you are as an individual, but also who you are as a, as a function, um, and making sure that those two narratives are, are close and related, but not the same.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Um, tell us about the pickle jar. You've got to go to
0: the pickle oh, jar. I love the pickle jar. Um, yeah. And I think this applies. This doesn't just apply to when you have the first product manager join or maybe the second or third product manager join. But whenever you join somewhere for new, you have to take that step back and recognize you've been hired because you're respected as the, as a subject matter expert, like that's why you're there is to, to be who you are and you've got through the front door and that's really great. So, so use that as a, as a power, but recognize that the team before you are also attempting to do the best job that they could and respect that legacy. If you don't, it's going to feel like a pickle jar effect. And so the pickle jar effect is, and I can't remember where I heard it. If anybody knows Kind of, who came up with this this concept? No, as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) I really, I, I wish it was. It's definitely a concept um, beyond me and and out there in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yay! (laughs) Glad that's what I brought to the party. Um, So somebody will have been at the company trying to open a jar. Um, There's something in the jar that you all need, and you're trying to open it. They've banged it on the side. They've run it under hot water. They've used a tea towel. All of this. And you're the new guy, you're walking in and you're like, oh, the jar needs opening. Give it here. I'll take it. I'll be able to open it. So the person who's giving up the jar then is quite resentful because what are you going to try that I haven't already tried? And again, there's a communication piece in there. There's an empathy piece in there. And while you should, like you're a new pair of eyes, you're a new pair of hands, you'll have strength that the other person doesn't have. You'll also have weaknesses that that other person doesn't have. But just recognizing that, hey, I see you're trying to unravel this problem, you're trying to open this jar, but you haven't managed it yet, let me help you, is a much more effective way of team building than going in and grabbing the jar and attempting to do it on your own.
1: Yeah, we've seen both. We've probably
0: done. Yes, I'm sure I have been the person opening somebody else's pickle jar unsuccessfully. Right? This is the other thing: is the pickle jar. If it was easy to open, they'd have done it themselves. And so sometimes you'll be able to open it, but most of the time it it needs several things combined, which means it needs several people combined.
1: Yeah, and it does feel pretty bad when somebody comes in and they're like, "Oh, I can do that. Just hand me the pickle jar," mm-hmm. and then they realize that they can't. They're, they're, I mean, to some degree, there's a little bit of Schadenfreude, Freud self satisfaction there when they can't open the pickle jar. <laughs> but you're also just kind of like, "Well, but I tried everything." <laughs>
0: Right. And you sit there and like, do you not think I'm good enough? Do you not think I'm clever enough? Do you not respect my history that I, you know, yeah, I already tried that. I already tried that. What makes you think you're so different? And suddenly you're building up walls to team members that really shouldn't be there.
1: So it's very much something to be aware of because it's, uh, you should absolutely hand over the pickle jar and say, please, please try I'd love to yeah. see you try that. I'm going to sit back and watch. <laughs> yeah, and who knows? Maybe and they'll surprise you and open the pickle jar, and then you'll be like, "Wow." Well, now hold on. Wait a minute.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then you realize on to you have that, a strong team member. Yeah, hang, hanging on to that purpose as well. Like it's it's our pickle jar as a team. We all have to crack yes. this nut together. It's not my thing that I have to do on my own. So even if somebody else does manage it and they get the credit for it, well, that can be really frustrating, especially if you're. You know, if you feel like you're trying to get a promotion or you're trying to move forwards in your career, it can be frustrating to see somebody else succeed where you tried and failed or tried and didn't, wasn't given the right opportunities, but also hanging on to actually why is it that I'm here and that's the company agenda and the product agenda and moving that forwards. And it doesn't matter who does it as long as it's done. We're a team. We should do this together. Know, as product managers, so that,
1: we love to be individuals and we love to get things done and we love to show everybody how great we are and how awesome we are. And it just is deflating to see somebody else come in and be like, oh, yeah, I can open that jar.
0: Absolutely. So, And it, I think that comes, at, it kind of takes us full full circle a little bit to the, we kind of have to roadshow our abilities a little bit. We have to be our own advocates because we're influencers So imagine imagine a social media influencer who didn't tell you how good a product was or how good the thing was. You'd never go out and buy it. Which means that as product managers, we have to say, "Look, I'm really good at this. I know what I'm doing. Please follow me. We're going this way. Otherwise, you're going on a company that truly
1: marketed their product, and they're like, (laughs) "Our product is the okayest thing you've ever used. That would be really difficult. I mean, like you could." (laughs) Self-deprecating humor can work in a marketing scenario, but you've actually mm-hmm. got to be really good. And then you've mm-hmm. got to be really on point with your, with your self-deprecating humor. So it's a very difficult thing to go out there and uh, be be humble, frankly. Um, yeah. Also, speaking of difficult things, being a product manager, seven levels down from the top and making an impact. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I have been there before. And when you are seven levels down from the top, the things that you manage are a very, very small portion of a larger product and it can feel like you have very little impact because the strategy is decided so far up above where you sit that you're not going to have a lot of control over the strategy. And you've got such a small section of the product at that point when you're like seven levels down in an organization that it almost feels like you can't fail. But at the same time, you can and, and there are ways to succeed. And I think that when you're in that scenario, uh, you have to be very innovative to find what are the ways that I can make the largest impact that might actually get me noticed at levels higher above. Because now we've actually taken this part of the product that, you know, seven levels down is probably not something everybody cares about is the other reality of that too, that there's probably just a portion of your company that cares about that and not the entire company. It's not the make or break for the company, but if you can turn it into something that becomes something that people care about more, then that's how you can be successful in that scenario. And and that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, it's kind of a difficult spot to hold, uh, simply because, you'd like to make more of an impact. Uh, But it's also, I think that's not a bad spot to get maybe started in product management. That's a a good place for people that are just kind of starting to kick the tires on how all of this works and starting to really get in there and and make an impact. And I think that that's a, if you're in that type of role, that's a a great starting role. And there's a lot to be learned in that role. You probably do have a little bit more room to mess up than if you were in a smaller organization, just trying to get something to market and uh, a mistake could be Fatal for the product's uh, ability to go to market as opposed to if you make a mistake, you may aggravate a few users, but you can walk that back and it's it's not uh, all that big at the, the end of it.
0: Yeah, I think there's a there's a line in a Star Wars movie episode one where they're like underneath water. And Qui-Gon Jinn is showing my nerd side, but Qui-Gon Jinn is like, there's always a bigger fish. And I think that line has stuck with me since that movie came out. And then through my career, there's always a bigger fish and very rarely... Are we talking to like the CPO or that one person who really is in control of everything? When you are seven levels down, there's always going to be somebody else with a bigger product than you or more, a product that's got more traction in the market than yours does or more users than yours does. But I think nailing the narrative so that when you're not in the room, people still know what you're responsible for and they can still talk to your feature or talk to your product and just replaying that narrative over and over again, making sure that for the piece of strategy that you do own, it lives without you. It's written down. It's a it's an elevator pitch. It's a something that other people can kind of hang on to and be like, oh yeah, Carl's responsible for this. This is his thing. It's great. I can summarize it in two three sentences and it lives and breathes on its own, I think can be really special. And just knowing that you're always going to have to vie for people's attention. So what are the things, like what are the pieces of candy that can stand out? Um, and that was it's like an app that comes to mind when I talk about this is Ways. And there used to be mm. literal candy on the street that as you were driving, you would drive over the candy and it would get you points. But it was the thing that was different from Apple Maps, Google Maps at the time, like it was the the app that just stood out just a little bit. So try and figure out if you feel like you don't have influence or you feel like you're not getting traction internally, like what's your candy? Like why, why are you special? What's different? And it doesn't have to be big. Um, and it shouldn't be big most of the time. You shouldn't be distracting the team with stuff that's kind of just the cherry on top. Didn't but for that narrative, ways? I think Google bought ways. Oh, Okay. I don't know. We'd have to do, we'd have to check. I think it's an interesting,
1: it's an interesting point um, that kind of comes up into here as well uh, is just that sometimes you have a great idea, you're seven layers down and you're not going to get that traction. We've seen this before where like somebody has that great idea and the company won't invest in that great idea. So what do they do? They leave and they start their own thing and they make the idea. What's even funnier is then when the company you used to work at has to buy your thing. So yeah, sometimes seen that you're just before. not going to. Sometimes you're just not going to have that influence over the top, and you're going to have to go out and prove that you can do the thing on your own. So I, I, I guess uh, on that, our call to action to all of you out there is to think about the different stages in the product lifecycle, uh, and which one gives you the most joy or seems the most challenging, and then find a way to position yourself as the right person for a product in that stage, and make sure that you have fitted yourself into what's best for you based on that and if you're a product leader take a look at your team and think about some of these things and think about where those people fit and do you really have the right person on the right part of the product this has been productly speaking
0: thank you for tuning in if you like what you heard subscribe make sure you don't miss any episodes
1: also share our podcast with your friends and anyone you think might enjoy listening to an american and a brit natter on about product management
0: I don't think you can call it nattering.
1: Uh, I, I guess actually we did stay on topic and it's not technically nattering.
0: Exactly. Well, what did you guys think? Leave us some feedback. Make sure to visit us at www.productlyspeaking.com. Send us an email at helloaproductlyspeaking.com. Or join the chat on matrix at hashtag productlyspeaking Thank you all again. And until next time, cheerio.